0: Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Hello, Pastor. Hi, good evening, Bill. Nathan. Last week we were beginning to cover the topic of psychology in the church, but before we jump back into that, let me just share with each of you that we had to pre-record this episode of That's Truth, so we won't be able to answer your questions live. But that being said, we still want your questions so that we can answer them the next time we are live. Please send your questions to 268-782-1454. Again, you can send your questions via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. We won't be able to answer them this evening, as this is airing, because it's been pre-recorded, but the next time that we are live on the air, we will gladly answer your questions. Like I begin the program this evening, we were discussing psychology and the church, psychology and the Bible. Uh, Pastor, can you real quickly define for us what is psychology? Well, the
1: general um, definition of psychology in, in most dictionaries and um Even in the diagnostic manuals, uh, it is uh, said to be the science of behavior, dealing with the mind, and includes the conscious and the unconscious, and really has to do with your thoughts and your feelings, basically. But it's really the science of behavior.
0: And it's a relatively young science, uh, 100 to 150 years old. We also discussed last episode the major branches of psychology, and I have jotted down at least seven of them here, everything from clinical to developmental to social psychology. And then we discussed why it's so dangerous to the church. And the main reason for that was that it is a it comes from a secular worldview, an atheistic, evolution-based worldview. And if you start out with the wrong foundation, You can never come to the right answer for man's questions. And we wrapped up last episode discussing some of the common psychotherapies and who the founders of those uh, psychotherapies are. And the only one that we had time to cover last time was Sigmund Freud. Can you quickly refresh our memory about Sigmund Freud, what did he bring
1: to psychology? Well, the basic thing that Freud brought to psychology, by the way, he's called the father of psych- modern psychology, um, was the concept that man is controlled by the unconscious. Uh, the whole idea is that you have three parts of a human personality. There is the the id, which is your I- intuition, your your natural instincts, your desires. Then you've got your ego, which is the human character, the personality itself, and then you've got the super ego, which is the conscience. And the problem is that your id wants to um, do things that are, well, want to be free, really, to experience all kinds of desires and feelings and lust. Your super ego, which is your conscience, uh, suppresses that id. And that's where all your neurotic and psychotic problems start with because you have an oversensitive conscience that beats down your natural desires, and this creates this dysfunction within the individual. So the thing to do, basically, is to understand that uh, you need to water down the conscience so that your conscience no longer bothers you so that the it can express itself. That is, in essence, the the, the Freudian concept of what is wrong with man, Um and of course, the the the, the concept that is the unconscious that con- un- that controls you. A lot of these desires that you want, you suppress them because you can't express them because you've been wrongly socialized. Your conscious is wrongly so- socialized, so uh, it creates this problem within you, uh, these neurotic problems that uh, express themselves in emotional issues. Uh, but the whole idea behind Freud is that you are not responsible. It's this unconscious part of you that controls you. Uh, I said in the previous program that this is one of the great dangers of psychology. It's making everybody a victim. People are no longer seen to be responsible because the things that are controlling that they have no control over. Now, if my unconscious is controlling me and I'm not conscious of my unconscious, how can I be held responsible? <laughs> and that is part of the Freudian theory that came in. And that is why uh, introducing Freudian concepts into the, into the church is so dangerous. The other thing is that uh, only the expert can solve the human problem. And you do that through psychoanalysis. That means I got to get back into your, got to probably hypnotize you to get back into your uh, early childhood when you had the, all these traumas, all these bad experiences. And in addition to that, um, they use um, not only uh, they use dream therapy. I got to tell you what dreams I've had, and he has to interpret what dreams. Uh, then this free association. If you say a word like family, and I say pain, or I say uh, abuse automatically uh, he associates that the first word that comes out of your mouth is really an expression of what is deep on the inside that you don't even know is there. you heard about the Freudian slip. Sometimes you say words, and that really expresses what is really going on in the inside. This is what Freud is all about. But the, the, the danger of him, basically, is the idea that the unconscious controls you, so you cannot be held responsible for what you don't have any control over, and therefore you're a victim. Of your unconscious. That is a danger, Freud. So, taking that philosophy, you, we could say that Eve should
0: not have been held accountable for eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden, that it wasn't her fault.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think we all see, which is all, what, today we're wondering why people can commit such crimes and, and do so many things, and, and everybody is claiming that um, um, they're doing what they do because somebody is force them to do it. Yeah, and or environment. Been, I, yeah, the environment, basically. We're coming to that next uh, as well. But the, 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 we're getting to the point in life where we don't sh- shoulder responsibility anymore. And psychology has provided the, the scientific base for us to excuse whatever we're doing and then blame somebody else. It's the blame game that is going on. And psychology has laid the foundation for that. And and that is where I think the, the great danger of introducing these concepts into the churches. Is there another founder
0: of psychology that you would say has played a crucial role in changing mankind's perspective and responsibility
1: for sin? Well, there's a guy called Alfred Adler. Uh, he is the grandfather of humanistic psychology. Uh, Freud would be the father. He would be the grandfather, basically. Uh, He belonged to Freud's circle of the Vienna Circle. And um, he, again, is one of the uh, psychologists that have introduced certain concepts that are influencing today's uh, uh, society. Uh, As far as he's concerned, man is driven by a sense of inadequacy Uh, and uh, man is trying to achieve significance. So the goal that motivates man is is significance. And um, he also believes that we develop fictional goals in life, uh, and these fictional goals are developed when we're yet in our childhood. So that something might have happened to me uh, in my childhood and I've been trying to achieve a goal to defeat whatever happened to me. So I go on living, trying to achieve this goal. And the job of the psychologist is to try to find out what that particular goal is I'm aiming at, that I got. Something happened to me in my childhood. And I keep wanting to, um, I'm trying to deal with it, but I'm trying to, I've got an established a goal of how to deal with it. But the psychologist now has to go, go into the childhood to find out what that unrealistic goal is that I am pursuing. And then... To change my behavior, change my emotion, change my psychology, I've got to ch- uh, move that from the unrealistic goal to the realistic goal of achieving full significance. So that is uh, a theory that has been there by uh, by uh, Alfred Adler, and it has had tremendous influence. But again, notice that the, the problem with us goes back to the development of our childhood. Everything is blamed We are what we are because of our childhood. So we're blaming everything back on childhood. That concept is so common today, but you've got to understand these are the men that laid the foundation, not only Freud with the unconscious, but also Adler with the idea that I have this unrealistic goal because of something happened to me in in my childhood that I've been trying to achieve that's not realistic. And I have to show to you now that the goal that we should be working towards to is to complete actualization. That is a concept that um, Adler introduced.
0: But is it not true that there are things that in the world that we live in, and it's a shame that we even have to discuss this, but there's abuse, whether it be physical or sexual abuse that is done to children at a young age, and they have to carry that baggage for the rest of their life. Let me just share this quote with you and get your thoughts from a biblical perspective. Victims of abuse have no identity within the Christian good news narrative, except as a sinner. Victims carry guilt
1: when they are really experiencing pain. Look, there's no question about it that any person who's gone through some great um, traumatic, uh, traumatic experience during childhood, that it affects a person's life. Uh, I mean, the... the, 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 the if you just look at life realistically, a, a child that is brought up in an environment where from the time he was born, he's only known abuse. Um, then he's gone off into drugs and maybe into violence, whatever it is. That will no doubt color his life or, or color, color his, uh, his attitude towards life. But w- the way God sees it is that whatever happens to us, we have to make a choice. We have to react. I'm not responsible for what happens to me, but I am responsible for how I react to what happens to me. And that is where the human element of responsibility comes in. Uh, I can't, as a result of what happened to me uh, when I was a young boy, now make choices that are contrary to the moral principles of Scripture, even though I know those moral principles because of what has happened to me in the past. So uh, it comes to a point where I cannot use now my past as a basis for what I'm doing, as though it helps to condone what I'm doing. I am a morally responsible being who has to make free moral choices, and I'm not responsible for what has happened to me, but I am responsible for how I respond to those things that have happened to me. And by the way, I, I think it is unfair to say that a, a person who has been traumatized or a person who has um, been abused, that there's no, um, there's no redemptive message for that person or it's just a spiritual. No, the church has always been the institution that has always responded to human need whether it be abuse, whether it be abortion. Uh, so to, to make that kind of a statement is to miss what the church has always been. It's always been on the side of the person who has been uh, seen to be victimized and try to help that person. But at the same time, the church has always maintained the position that as responsible beings, we have to make choices. And whatever has happened to us, the choices that we make and respond to those things means that we are culpable if we have violated God's law We become guilty. I like how you phrase that, I'm not
0: responsible for what happens to me, but I am responsible for how I respond. I think that is a very, very good phrase to keep in our minds in this day and age
1: where everyone claims to be a victim. Is there... Coming back to Adler, another thing that he he introduced really was the idea of the inferiority complex. that because of what has happened to us in childhood we can go through life feeling that we're inferior and uh, this certainly affects how we perceive ourselves now again nobody doubts that there is some value in that concept because if i've been told by my mom that i'm stupid or by my dad that i don't have any brain or that i will never succeed uh, anybody who has been through those kind of experience will tell you that that colors the entire concept of the of their value Uh, So that's why I keep saying that it's not as though psychology doesn't have value. Uh, It does have value. There are things that these people have discovered in their own research that is valuable to us in dealing with people. But I maintain that to take wholesale everything that psychology says and embrace it and bring it to the church is where the problem lies without using discrimination and sieving what comes into the church uh, through a biblical framework so that we can know what we can reject and what we can accept, what is tolerable, and what is acceptable. Uh, So that's the danger of it, Uh, not just psychology in itself, but bringing it wholesale without applying the critical scriptures to to the passages or to the concepts so that we can eliminate rather than just uh, totally discard
0: everything. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The voice that you hear answering these questions is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. This particular episode of That's Truth we had to pre-record... So we will not be able to answer your questions live. However, we still want your questions on whatever topic, but especially if they're on the topic of psychology, please send your questions to 268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. And the next time that Pastor Murphy is live on the program, he will gladly answer your questions from a biblical perspective. We're discussing the topic of psychology and the Bible. Pastor Murphy, are there other
1: key founders of the psychological movement? The other guy that comes to mind uh, is uh, Maslow, um, Abraham Maslow. And most people would know Maslow from what is called his hierarchy of needs. Um, He posits the position that everybody has uh, five basic needs, and that these needs are in a particular order and that we could never uh, achieve full actualization until all of these particular needs are met in a particular order. Uh, Again, I I will point out in the process that there is some credibility to what he's saying, Uh, but um, there are some things that we have in relation to Maslow that is is, is questionable and that we we, uh, have to be very careful about. Uh, By the way, he's the one that introduced what is called the positive mental health. So rather than focus on uh, mental illness, focus on what we can do to make people feel mentally healthy. Uh, And his idea is that we have these needs that really control us. Now, again, this is where we would differ with him in that regard. The Bible makes it quite clear that we are controlled by certain desires, but not his hierarchy of needs. The Bible says that we are controlled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And, of course, there is the satanic element that we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, that there's a spirit of disobedience that works and uh, motivates and and propels people to do wrongdoing. So um, his hierarchy of needs is in clash. Uh, It clashes with the biblical psychology that emphasizes that man is driven and what man is driven is, is by these desires. Now, some of his needs certainly fall under the desires because he talks about having certain uh, physiological needs. Uh, that is the need for water, um, satisfy your hunger, need for sex, physical needs, et cetera, et cetera, And then a need for security, need to feel love, need to feel significant. The u- ultimate need is to feel, uh, to, to achieve self-actualization where you become all that you want to be. Now, nobody disputes that everybody wants to achieve uh, the best that they can. But again, to suggest that it is just these particular needs, uh, and these are legitimate needs, by the way, but the Bible makes it clear that what drives us is the sinful nature that is driven by these particular desires. So a biblical psychology, understanding what motivates people to do what they're doing, we have to take into consideration those three things the Bible talks about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, uh, we can see some of those being uh, fulfilled in the process of meeting these three things that the Bible talks that drives man. But it's a, it's, um, So the, the, in, in terms of what drives us, Maslow says these particular needs that he lists. The need for uh, physical needs, uh, security needs, um, um, developmental needs, um, actualization needs. The Bible says that what drives us is the lust of the flesh, the love of the eyes, and the pride of life. The question is, which do you accept? So if a person comes to me with a problem, what am I going to use as a framework to deal with him? Uh, to understand why he's doing what he's doing, i got to understand he's driven by one of these three things. i got to find out what what, 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 what is the lust of the flesh that he's pursuing? Is he pursuing um, sex, which is outside the pale of Christianity? Is he pursuing material things? What is he pursuing? Um, i got to understand the lust of the, the, the eyes as well. It has to do with his aesthetic values. Is it is, is, is a beautiful woman he's pursuing? Is it a beautiful car? Is it a house? Is, is this what is motivating him? And then, of course, uh, the idea of the pride of life. This is where... Um, What's his ambition? What's his goal? So I have a framework to try to understand what is going on in his life, what he's doing, what he's doing from a biblical perspective. And then, of course, there's a satanic element as well, the evil spirit that workers in children of disobedience. That's the biblical framework I try to deal with when people come. That's how I see, I try to view their problems. But Maslow is helpful in making it clear that we have needs, physical needs, which is the lust of the flesh. And of course, you've got other actualization with the pride of life. So he states it in a different way. But uh, the hierarchy in which he gives it as well, that I must meet one, two, three, four, in that particular order. I can't go beyond two unless I reach one. I can't reach five until I reach one, two, three, and four. Uh, that would not be scriptural. I can move from one to five by finding Christ as my Savior. Yeah. Uh, I can move from one to three by finding Christ as my Savior. Uh, so to be actualized is not what is the need of man. To be saved, to be converted, to be transformed is what's the real basic need in man. And for a real radical change to take place in a person's life, uh, no among the psychology can do it. It takes the transforming work of Christ, faith in Christ, belief in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, prayer and intercession. These are the means that God has given us to experience transformation and change and to real really have what you might call Total self actualization. Would you say that Maslow is the father of self esteem in that movement? Well, he's part of it, uh, but don't forget I mentioned Adler before, yeah. the idea of, of coming to total self significance, etc. Uh, all of these are basically people who are leading in that direction.
0: What is the biblical view or balance that
1: we should have when it comes to self esteem? Well, I should find, first of all, uh, to get really true self-esteem, you have to know who you are, right? Um, the, the the biblical way of getting your self-esteem is to understand that you created the image of God, that you bear God's image, that you have value, you have significance, because you are an image bearer of God. That is where a, a person should find significance. Not in my job, not in who I marry, not in what house I live in, what car I drive. Uh, My significance comes from the fact that I am connected with God from the very uh, beginning, that I bear his image and I carry his likeness and I therefore have value and significance. That is where the Christian finds significance. By the way, if you try to find significance in any other thing, uh, eventually it will go to collapse. Uh, The man that finds significance in his riches, that can be gone in a day. Yeah. The person finds significance in their beauty, that can be gone in a minute. Yeah. Right. So you've got to have a, a solid foundation which you can uh, uh find your value and your your worth. And that comes from the fact that you bear God's image. You have got value. Anything else that you'd like to add on Maslow? Um The thing other thing I would like to say about um Maslow is that he thought that part of the problem with man is that we live by rigid, absolute principles. Uh, so Maslow really was an atheist, and he believed that one of the big problems is that we are trying to live up the standard that we cannot live up to. So what we've got to do, we've got to get rid of the absolute standards. The new standard now to achieve is try to come to total self-actualization. So don't allow allow yourself to be held back by trying to reach these absolute standards that you can't reach. Uh, So he in himself helped to devalue the importance of Scripture and the significance of the Bible. And not only that, he in himself helped to destroy any concept of being absolute moral values. So there are no absolute moral values any longer. He is one of those people that helped to tear down that standard um, and, and in, in the process not only tore down Christianity but tore down the moral fabric of society. Uh, so that, that has been, he has been detrimental in, in, in that aspect as well.
0: So lower the standards that man has held to so that man feels better about himself.
1: Yeah, because again, remember that Maslow, uh, Freud, Adler, all of them are coming from one perception. They believe in evolution. They don't believe that man is special. They believe that man is just simply an advanced animal. Now, if there is no creator, if there is no God, if there's no moral standard, man now becomes a standard. See, So uh, all of them are coming from that basic foundation, and that is where modern psychology, the base of modern psychology is is, is secular humanism and atheism. And all of those principles that came out of those Those type of people, that kind of mindset. That is why we need to filter what they have introduced and don't take them wholesale into the Christian faith. I don't know if anyone has done this, but as
0: you were just sharing the fact that each of these men who, from the world's perspective, accomplished a lot, but that they were atheists, it would be very interesting to look at each of these men on their deathbed. And were they fearful going into eternity, were they realizing that there was really, they hadn't accomplished what they were here on this earth to accomplish and compare their deathbed experience to that of Billy Graham or uh,
1: Moody or other men of God? Well, I can't speak with, with respect to the others, but I know that Freud died a terrible death. Okay. Freud, by the way, part of one of his problems he used he co- was using cocaine from an early age and he was a heavy smoker and he had cancer in his mouth. Um, so I know that he, he had a, a terrible uh, death experience. Um, uh, so he lived with a lot of pain in the final phase of life. The other thing i like to say about Maslow is that Maslow saw uh, what they call all our neuroses uh, as a deficiency disease. And again, here's your problem. The reason why I am having a neurosis, I'm having these emotional problems, is because my needs are not being met. But why are my needs not being met? Uh, Because other people are not meeting my needs. So I am in the position I am, I didn't bring this upon myself, it's just people didn't meet my needs. Define for me neurosis. Neurosis is an emotional condition uh, which you still have control of your senses. Uh, but you can't function as you normally would like to. Psychosis is when you have an extreme emotional problem, but you can't function more, You're hearing voices, you're seeing things, you can't function. So the difference between uh, neurosis and, psych- and psychosis is basically two different levels of emotion. One, you, can, you still have emotional problems, but you can function. But you're not functioning as to your optimum. So therefore you're having all, like worry, uh, okay. that would be a neurosis, uh, anxiety, that would be a neurosis. A psychosis would be like um, if you have what are called manic depression yeah. or bipolar, one moment uh, I'm talking so gaily and I'm, I love the whole world, next moment I'm at great points I'm hearing voices, etc., cetera, et cetera, or a schizophrenic person with double personality. So uh, the, these are just terms that expre- express the, the mental and emotional situation. But I was saying to you the the why the reason why I mentioned um, uh, Maslow, Maslow has now made it possible for me to blame my emotional and and neurotic problems on the fact that my needs are not being met. See, so I am absolved from my emotion because the problem is not me. The problem is I got certain emotional needs that are there, they're natural but they're not being met. They're not being met by the government. They're not being met by my, my, my mom. They're not being met by the school teacher. They're not being met by whoever. So again, I'm absolved from responsibility. Freud said it's my unconscious, right? Adler's is saying it's, it's my needs that are not being met by other people. So all of my neurotic problems stem from other people. I'm, I'm shifting blame for myself to others again. It's, it's, this, this, this is the danger of psychology. Is absolving people of responsibility, and I cannot emphasize that too much. So the victim syndrome is part of this um, this uh, teaching of um, Maslow. You're listening to That's Truth.
0: You've just been hearing Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua, as he's been explaining some of the founders of psychology and the dangers of their theories that they have put forth And the dangers of what would happen as the church far too often has accepted those theories uh, without using discernment and started using it in counseling. We would love to hear your questions. This episode has been pre-recorded, so we won't be able to respond to them live. But we will uh, print out the questions and provide them to Pastor Dr. David Murphy so that the next time he is live here on That's Truth... He will gladly answer your questions from a biblical perspective. You can send those questions to 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. I am really thrilled that you are listening to this episode of That's Truth. I hope that it is an encouragement to you and is helping you to be able to take some of the things that you have heard in the secular world around you, maybe some of these terms or the names of some of these psychologists, and being able to view them in light of a biblical perspective. Back to you, Pastor.
1: Any other founding fathers that you'd like to discuss? Um, There is another point I'd just like to mention, uh, both with uh, Freud and Adler and Maslow. All of them saw man as basically good, okay. born good. Uh, again, that is contrary to the biblical principle. Born with a sinful nature, they don't see man as a sinner, because there's no God. There's, there's, there was no creation. So again, the base on which they start that man is basically born good, and that is society that corrupts. It's the unconscious corruption, or his needs that are not being met. Again, when you're doing if you're gonna counsel somebody and you have to have a framework in which you counsel them, you counsel them first of all that they're sinner. That they have a sin nature that's moving them in a different direction. So if you take Freud or you take Maslow or you take Adler and you're you're counseling them from a framework within the, their framework, you cannot You should. You would not be thinking in terms of the sinful nature that could cause them to go a propensity or proclivity to do evil. See, so that's that's the danger again. If 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 you don't take the biblical concept of biblical psychology, we must start with creation. We must start with man is fallen. Those are the core things to understand what is happening to man. But these guys, including um, Maslow, believe that man is good basically, and uh, there's no evil within. So therefore. He's not held account. The other guy that um is worth mentioning is a guy called Carl Rogers. Now he is the most influential psychologist that has existed so far. He's number one man. More than Freud. More than Freud, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He um, he is the one that introduced the what is called non directive counseling. And basically, um Rogers believes that man has within him all the resident powers he needs to solve his problems. So your, 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 your responsibility as a counselor is not to advise him or tell him what to do. That's why it's called non-directive counseling. You must not take a verse in the scripture and say, but the Bible says adultery is wrong. Or the Bible says um, stealing is wrong. That's not your job. You're not supposed to direct him because he has all the resident answers within him. What you've got to do is to pull out the answers he has within him. So when he says, you reflect what he says. You don't, you don't give him counsel, you don't. Now here it is, I'm counseling him but I must not give him advice. It's called non, because he has all the answers, but he doesn't know it. I need to show him that he has the answers from within. So when he uh, responds to a question, I probe in such a way that I say to him, you see, you had the answer. Now, a Christian can never be a non-directive counselor. The entire scripture is giving man's directions, is setting out God's will in propositional form. It's telling man what God expects, what God hates, what God dislikes, it tells man how to relate to each other. So, as a Christian counselor, I have the responsibility to tell to that guy that what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. But again, according you must never tell anybody they're wrong. Let him discover the wrong for himself. Right? This is this is Roger, um, uh, counselor. You probably come across the word being non-judgmental. Yeah. This is where it all came from. You just accept people as they are. You never tell them that what they're doing is wrong. This is where that concept came from. He's the one that introduced the idea that you just accept people as they are, uh, irrespective if you agree with them or not or disagree with them, uh, just accept them as they are. And he really was convinced that that was the, the correct approach. Simply because he doesn't have a Bible base. Yeah. His, his psychological view is not a Bible psychology or biblical anthropology. He's a person coming shortly from a secular point of view that there's no God, there are no absolute standards. Uh, the Bible is just a myth, basically. So when you start with man, where else do you go to? Man has to have the answers, and that is the, the whole concept behind um, Roger's non-directive thinking. He's the one as well that uh, emphasizes the stress, the importance of self-esteem, Okay. And, and what is called positive, unconditional self-regard. That's the term that is used. Basically, unless you feel good about yourself, you'll never be able to function well. So my job is to build up your ego to make you feel good about yourself. See, uh, A lot of us repeat terms. We hear terms on the radio. We read them in the book. We don't understand where they're coming from. But these are the guys that give us the the terminology, jargon, the self-actualization, the idea of the self-concept, self-esteem. All of this came out of these uh, psychological uh, persons Who introduced these concepts And so they were adopted now into education Adopted into um, Even into the church Into counseling So when you hear these terms You've got to source the origin of them And just remember they're not, they're not based on scripture The Bible talks about denying self Crucifying self These guys say no we've got to build up self And elevate self See, The Bible's concept is always that we, we, uh, we Submit ourselves to God And humility is a virtue in the Bible But pride is a virtue in psychology. Mm -hmm. They're complete opposite and complete reverse. Does secular psychology have a place for sin? None of them that I know of talk about sin. Uh, There's a guy called Glasser, uh, reality therapy, that is now introducing the concept of um, responsibility. And the problem with people is relational, really. Uh, But all of these people uh, that I know of, that I've quoted so far, all of them... Do not believe in a creator. Believe in evolution. Uh, believe that man is just an advanced animal. Uh, so there is no sin. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible makes it quite clear. where There's no law. There's no sin. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any concept of, of, of sin. What they've got is that man is doing what he's doing because he can't help it. His whole life is predetermined. My unconscious controls me. So how are you going to hold me from my responsibility to my unconscious control? If it's not my unconscious now... It has to do with my needs that are not being met. Uh, that is leading me down, down the, uh, to do wrong as well. Uh, so um, Roger, uh, his main emphasis was on uh, non-directive uh, counselling. You've probably heard some other terms. Um, today, for example, we talk about a lot about feelings. Again, he's the guy that introduced the idea. It's all about how the person feels. It's not about what God says or what you say or what the Bible says. Uh, it's about the person's feelings. You don't want to offend the person's feelings. That concept is introduced by by uh, by, by Roger as well. And then the idea of a sympathetic understanding and uh, showing empathy. Uh, all of those concepts are born out of the Rogerian theory. Um, the other thing is about Roger is that he he, he taught that the final uh absolute authority in a person's life is experience there's nothing beyond my experience so whatever my experience tells me is authentic is authentic uh because again there's no god so what gives authenticity the individual is the experience that I have so he's not he's a, uh he's not be, be beholden to any doctrine any teaching any standard any absolute yeah. the the individual is totally autonomous. Whether and, you're on drugs or not. Well, that's the individual. Whatever his experience is, it's the key factor that, that tells him what is real and what is actually important to him. Pastor, you've studied a lot of
0: Christian and secular counseling curriculum. What would you say is the main difference between those two
1: worldviews when it comes to curriculum of counseling? As far as I'm concerned, the basic fundamental problem between secular um, counseling and biblical counseling uh, is is, is based on the idea of um, a false anthropology. I keep using that term, false anthropology, is that unless you understand human nature uh, and the biblical psychology of human nature, that man is made up of a body, soul, and a spirit. Right? Uh, and not only that, that man is a fallen creature, that man has a sinful nature. You can never understand man if you don't understand those three aspects. He's a, he's, he has physical needs, he has emotional needs, and he also has spiritual needs. And the fact that he is a fallen creature alienated from God. All of man's fundamental problems are relational problems. And uh, what I mean by that is, it's either a problem that relates, uh, that is a fault between him and God, or between him and his fellow man. That's why the our Lord encapsulates the very essence of what the law was about. Love towards God and love towards your uh, your fellow man. Everything is comprehended in that word love. And it's the faulty relation between God and the faulty relation between our fellow man that creates all of our basic fundamental problems. Now let me say this. We are not talking about organic problems now. There are people who have organic problems. They have mental problems. Uh, chemical imbalance. Chemical imbalance. I'm not dealing with those things, but I'm talking about Problems that are non-organic problems, whether those be emotional problems, spiritual problems, or social problems, or relational problems. Those are problems that cannot be identified and dealt with properly unless we are operating on a framework of biblical anthropology and biblical psychology. You're listening to That's
0: Truth, and Pastor Dr. David Murphy is answering My questions, and we would love for you to send in your questions. We won't be able to answer them live since this episode was pre-recorded, but we will give them to Pastor Murphy, and he will answer them the next time that he is live on That's Truth. The phone number that you can WhatsApp or text your question to is 268-782-1454, and I'm going to give that to you again as you reach for your phone and unlock it. WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 1454. Pastor, we've talked about some of the founders of psychology uh, Freud, uh, Adler, Maslow, Rogers. Are
1: there others? Yeah, another one that is worth mentioning is um, Skinner and also Watson. There's one called um, Behaviorism. And the danger of behaviorism, basically, uh, again, it's coming from a secular background, it's coming from a non-creation background. There's no belief in God, there's no belief in creation. believe that man is an advanced animal. But here is the proposition that is made by Skinner and Watson, basically, that the source of your problem is the environment. All your problems stand for the environment. So what what you what has happened to you is that your environment has created the person that you are, so you're not responsible for what you do basically it's the environment that is at the root of your problem again you see the the see, see the whole idea of I'm a victim the whole idea that I don't have human responsibility in making choices. I'm shifting my blame, whether to my unconscious, shifting my being to my unmet needs well I'm shifting my blame to the fact that um I'm living totally by experience. That's my, uh, what I know. Uh, no, no, he said, uh, what is really bothering you is your environment. So to deal with my problem, I don't deal directly with you. I deal with the environment. I need to fix the environment. As I fix the environment, you would be transformed and you'd be changed. The other thing that, if I want to change you, there is something called, um, um, I'm trying to remember the term that is used. Um, uh, I just escaped my 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 thought there for just a moment, but the whole idea is that I can oh yes, positive reconditioning and positive rewards uh so what I do if I want to change you basically i i um I find out what would stimulate that change and I reinforce it by giving you what you want. I'm rewarding you to change, basically. I'm bribing you to change, if you want to put it that way. Is right? that biblical? Well, rewards are, no doubt in the Bible, there are rewards for mm-hmm. what if we serve the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. But again, there's nothing wrong in moving a person in a direction to do right by offering a reward if they do right. But the, at the base of the problem there is to believe that I can recondition the human me, me, me simply by rewards. Again it goes back to the concept of regeneration Is it By changing my environment is that how I transform you Or do I transform you by a saving Knowledge of Jesus Christ and that is where People need to understand if you really want True transformation it is only Found in Christ it is, It's found by receiving Christ as your saviour The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you He does the sanctifying work of Transforming your inner life so that the outward man Begins to change and then of course you have the Word of God which is another tool Of sanctifying the individual So uh, while we acknowledge the environment plays a vital role in in changing people and could have a negative, positive effect upon people, the answer to man's need is not just the environment. Uh, Adam was living in a perfect environment, but yet he sinned. So the environment cannot be the reason why man is it. As a matter of fact, it's the environment that brings out what is already in the person. So what you need to do is to change the person as opposed to just work on the environment. But wouldn't that be backed up by, I remember you
0: referencing one of the professors or deans at the school that you went to used to have a tea bag in his office. And when counseling, he would say, you know, really what's inside of you comes out when you're put through pressure so wouldn't that be the same thing that Skinner is saying
1: yeah I think that that that, uh, that explains it but again um, Skinner is not suggesting that there was anything wrong with you that comes out he's suggesting oh, okay. you see, see the difference yep. he is shifting uh, the blame for who you are on your environment uh, the Bible does recognize that your environment can affect you but again your choices is what deals with your moral character and any psychology or any teaching that absolves man of responsibility for his actions and his behavior and for his response are totally unscriptural and unbiblical. Uh, the Bible sees us as responsible beings that are going to be held accountable for our behavior and our actions.
0: Pastor Matthew 7 verse 17 says, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. With that being in mind, and we've been repeating over and over that these fathers of psychology have a a secular worldview, a wrong worldview when it comes to the biblical worldview. They're atheists. They believe in evolution. How can we learn anything from them? Shouldn't we just write them off completely and not even pick up a psychology textbook or not even adapt any of their findings because obviously they've come they've come with the wrong basis, they've come with a bad route to start with.
1: There are some um Jay Adams, for example, um, does not believe in what is called eclecticism, where uh, he is warning the church about people who even use his method called dotetic counseling, where there's a tendency in counseling circles to get the best get the best from Jay Adams, get the best from Adler, get the best from Rogers, get the best from Freud. And, and and kind of bring them together and create an eclectic form of of counseling. G. Allen is against that. Uh, Crab Larry Crab, who is a well-known um, Christian uh, uh, counselor and co- psychologist, his approach is to uh, he's an eclectic. Uh, he he believes that there are insights that can be garnered from. Psychology that can be incorporated into Christian counseling. So, if you read Larry Clark's book, you'll find that uh, he pretty much talks about the need for uh, significance, the need for love, etc., etc., using some of the same words that are used by the secularists. My own view is that we ought to counsel from Scripture. But I am not a person that um, I can see that I don't have the time to sit down and study an individual from a child and the development stages etc when he can when he has abstract thinking when he has concrete thinking etc etc there are people who devote their entire life to study uh how people develop and so on and so forth and as i said before we use a lot of these insights in our uh pedagogical programs in our schools where we don't we give a, a certain child a certain age we don't give him certain material because he can't comprehend that uh similarly uh, people who have studied emotional problems and look at these different types of things, I do think that there are things that we can we can learn. I'm not against learning. There's a method I I came across some time ago in counseling that I um, I've never used it, but I can see the value of it. Let me explain what it is. It's basically a person, two people having a problem, say a husband and wife having a problem, and. They're having difficulty talking and exchanging, and what you do, basically, is that you ask the the person that they will just be willing to work with you on on a simple matter. He sits in a chair, and um, she comes in, basically, and tells him everything he wants to tell him, uh, tells him everything she does. He's not to respond. He just listens to everything. The tendency that when somebody says something, you want to respond. Mm-hmm. But in a case like this, it's a, it's a method that's used to help in, in, in family counseling. Where the thing is to let the wife or the husband pour out their heart without any interruptions. Just want him to sit and listen to what she has to say that is bothering her without interruptions. Well, this is why you know what I'm saying. And then it's reverse. She's put in the chair. He comes in and he downloads everything what he thinks about it, right? Without the interchange. now I can see that as being helpful mm-hmm. and then bringing the couple back together. That's a technique yeah. that can be incorporated into Christian counseling. So there are things we can learn from psychology, but we need to understand the secular uh, foundation of psychology and the presuppositions that they bring to the table, uh, how they, how they interpret what their study and research is going to be colored by their presuppositions. And that's why we as Christians have to be very, very careful what we incorporate into our counseling uh, sessions with uh, other people. So it is
0: okay to take some techniques and all from the secular psychologist, but you just have to use discernment. And discretion. Okay. Discretion. Any other founding fathers of the modern... S- psychology movement that you'd like to draw attention to the the
1: the guy that the two guys that come closest to um biblical counseling uh, there's one guy called hobart Maurer. uh he is the one that says that man's problem basically stems from bad behavior which leads to feelings of guilt and I think that is that is very in, almost in line with scripture but th- the way he says you solve this problem uh, of guilt, uh, as a result of bad behavior, is settled on a horizontal level. So you try to confess to the person and you make restitution. Where we would say to him that uh, we we would say that it has to be solved on the vertical level first. If you've been guilty of bad behavior that affected people's lives and now you're carrying a tremendous guilt, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's right and proper to go to that person to say, "Look, I, I did wrong. Would you forgive me? Can I make restitution?" But the biblical counsel will bring in that you need to make restitution to God as well, because sin is first an offense against God. But Maurer, his way of dealing with it is on the horizontal level. We would say that when it comes to bad behavior and the guilt feelings that flow from that bad behavior, the way to resolve that is, first of all, deal with God and confess your sin before God, and then deal with the individual and confess your sin to the individual. I I would say that... um, I would say that that is very, very close to uh, the biblical concept of the conscience becoming guilty because of bad behavior and needing some kind of change. So certainly that is uh, more in line with the biblical model of what's really wrong with man. The other guy that I would like to mention is a guy, uh, William Glasser, um, called Reality Therapy. Um, Basically in his counseling... Uh, he boils down our problems to relational issues. Most of our problems are that we got bad relations. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, but again, there's no vertical level at all. It's always dealt on the horizontal level. So there is some truth that these men have come to discover. And anybody that uh, observes life and look at people, and the problem that people have, we know that a lot of people are in tremendous pain, tremendous emotional issue because they have got bad relations with their father, their mom, they've got bad relations with a friend, maybe in the workplace. So a lot of our problems uh, clearly come from bad relations. Uh, But again, it's more than just the horizontal level. We need to uh, deal with the vertical level.
0: Are there anything... Is there anything that the Christian or the
1: church can learn from psychology, and if so, what? Well, it, it's one of the things that we can learn from psychology is that man hasn't really changed. For example, where did blame shifting start? In the Garden, from garden of Eden, right? Yeah. Man has been trying to absolve himself from responsibility from the very inception. It is human nature to mm-hmm. try to avoid guilt and responsibility. So, nothing hasn't changed. Uh, as far as that is, is concerned. Um, and uh, so we find that in, in, in Genesis, for example, Eve blames Adam, Adam blames the, the serpent, etc., etc. Uh, so that that's one thing we can learn from psychology. The other thing that we can learn from psychology is that if you don't have a biblical framework by which to view man, you always come to false conclusions. Unless you understand that man bears the image of God, that man already has dignity and value, and relate man's dignity and value to the fact that he's uh, the image bearer of God, you have to find another means to appeal to, uh, to make man feel valued. And that's where this whole idea of self-esteem, this whole idea of the self-concept has come into. So you you have to shift from the biblical base of dignity and value and and form some kind of a humanistic base, etc., uh, and of course, if you don't believe in the fall of man, you'll never be able to solve this problem because one guy says it's my unconscious, one guy says it's my unfelt needs, another guy says it's my environment, the other guy says it's my, my relations. The truth of the matter is man's basic problem is between him and God. That broken relationship has alienated man from God, and most of man's problems stem from the fact that man is living in a world where he has no sense of purpose, no sense of meaning, and when you don't have a sense of purpose and meaning, life loses its um, its zip and its zap, and its its optimism, and you have all of these emotional problems. So I would say if you you don't have a, a background where you understand the creation of man, you understand the fall of man, and then, of course... The other thing is, unless you understand that there is a solution to the human problem, and that is where Jesus Christ comes in uh, as the solution to the human problem. Jesus Christ offers a transformed life. God offers that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. He does his internal work of sanctifying you and cleaning you up, transforming your life. And then, of course, you have the tools of praying to God. And you've got the tool of the Word of God to direct you in life to make what your purpose is supposed to be, where you're supposed to be headed, etc., etc. So it helps you to have a framework to live within meaning and purpose, and you're moving in a particular direction. Because the goal of man is to bring glory to God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That is man's final purpose, not self-actualization, but to... Uh, bring glory, and when we talk bring glory to God, to put God on display in our lives, that when people see us, they can see the character of God and the nature of God uh, when they look at us. That's the goal. Would it be wrong though for a
0: employer to use the concepts of self-actualization to motivate the workforce that he's managing
1: from a biblical world? If I was going to approach that I would I would more use the biblical concept of pursuing excellence okay right because that's basically what actualization is it's trying to be the best that you can be and if you go into the bible we must pursue excellence we must we must be the best that we can that how God has made us to be we must try to achieve, if if God gave me a gift to be a carpenter, I must be the best carpenter in the world. I must try to attain that. If God gave me the capacity to be a medical doctor, I must aim to be the best medical doctor. I must aim at excellence, not mediocrity. So the Bible does give those kind of motivation for us that we must pursue excellence in everything that we do. For the listener who desires to study psychology
0: or counseling in order to help others. How would you advise them to
1: proceed in today's day and age? Um, I wish I had an answer to that one. I would probably suggest those who are really interested in good biblical counseling to probably go online and, and find the um, the website for New Counselors, J. Adams Group uh, of Biblical Counseling. I think that would be the course I would pursue. But I would also uh, say to people that, there are some very, very useful books that you can read. Uh, I, I mentioned last time the um to the Council by Jay Adams. I also mentioned the Christian Council's Manual by Jay Adams as well. I think those are basic fundamental courses to help you in laying a biblical foundation with counseling. Let me just say this. Uh, I think sometimes we are mesmerized. Uh, Christians are by the whole idea of academic qualifications that you need this you need the other things etc um, and we need to know the secular jargon the secular language uh, I need to remind you that as a believer uh, as Jay Alden will pointed out in Common Council that God can make you competent to help people with their problems I want to repeat this where was psychology 100 hundred and hundred twenty 120 years ago who was helping people with their problems pastors it was pastors it was Christians who had a solid understanding of scripture they were the ones that were helping people. And look at the chaos we have today with, with all the blooming of psychology and psychiatry. The, the world hasn't gotten better socially or morally. It's gotten better technologically and maybe scientifically. But we are headed down uh, a, a, a slippery slope of moral catastrophe. And that's where psychology has led us because every one of them basically is telling you that you're not responsible. You're a victim. Uh, um, the environment, uh, something happened to you when you were a child, it's robbing us of our responsibility. And consequently, we are seeing some of the worst crimes being committed without any compunction of conscience because the person could claim, I'm not responsible. My environment did that. My childhood trauma did that. My unconscious made me do that. And once you absolve people's responsibility, this is where we are headed to moral chaos. So, am I hearing you correctly
0: that you're saying that society is going to get worse and worse as psychology continues to push its
1: secular worldview? It's not only me that's saying that. Okay. If you go down to uh, <coughs> Paul and Timothy, yeah. evil workers and seducers wax worse and worse, and, and Paul warns us uh, in Timothy and his other writings that we are headed to a state of moral chaos. In um, Timothy, talks about time will uh, will come. Where they will not endure song doctrine. And then he talks about a whole list of things that uh, will be experienced during the final phase of uh, this dispensation. So it's not just myself, it is Paul that is teaching clearly that we want to deteriorate and deteriorate.
0: How can a Christian, or how can the listener, choose a proper counselor in the day and age where there is so much confusion and so many secular teachings? What would you advise the listener who says, I need counseling in my marriage. I need counseling in my personal
1: life. How should they proceed? Well, I, I, I would I would say that the important base for counseling really would be a pastoral ministry. I think to find yourself in a good church where your pastor expounds the word, explains the word. He's a man of the word of God. Um, I think to my mind, that's where you should start. Um, the secular... Um, psychologist the secular council is looking at it from a non-biblical base. He doesn't have a right understanding of human nature, doesn't understand the right understanding of the nature of reality. He has a false psychology, a false anthropology, therefore it's going to lead you astray. Find a church where a pastor preaches the word, he's a man of God, and um, I believe that's where you should start as a believer.
0: Real quickly in closing, let me just repeat a phrase that pastor said earlier, You are not responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for how you respond. Keep that in mind in this day and age where everyone is considered a victim. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth.